And welcome to another episode of Swing Thoughts. You know, we're getting to the point now, like the tipping point of popularity is when people go, I really like that theme song you guys use. Yeah. Um, that's when you know you're starting to uh, accrue, accrue, accrue. That word. Yep. Accrue, accrue. A posse of uh, people that love your show. And build. And they literally will go, oh, that Sultan's Swing is perfect because, you know, Swing Thoughts and Swing. I get it. Uh, welcome to the show. <laughs> Uh, along with uh, Tim O'Connor, the mental performance coach at uh, Glen Abbey Academy. Good morning. Good morning. And, uh, of course, you can get a hold of Tim at O'ConnorGolf.ca, and you should if you have any interest in getting better at this game. And, of course, myself, the uh, host of the uh, eponymously named Humble and Fred Show. Heard every morning on uh, Sirius XM, Channel 168, and, of course, my own years of golf research and obsession. This program brought to you by TaylorMade Adidas. TaylorMade, the number one driver in golf. Figure it out, okay? Why are these other driver manufacturers even bothering? I don't even know anymore. And Nike's quitting on it. Yeah, you They're know why? like throwing it in the towel. Exactly. You know why Nike quit? Because they went, oh, we can't compete with the TaylorMade driver. And you know the Tom Stites, the guy who was head of Nike Golf Design, is now running for public office in Oklahoma. Well, if, we, if, if Trump has proved anything, it's that anyone can run for public office. Uh, also brought to you by the uh, wonderful golf courses, Glen Karen and Blue Springs. We've been sponsoring their men's night, yeah. and it's pretty cool. Blue Springs had their closing men's night on Friday. Seriously. Yeah, and it was uh, a wonderful day. The, the pros put on an amazing show uh courses in amazing shape all that but what a just a great group of guys and um a lot of fun and fairly well behaved yeah i was gonna say that's pretty universal in my experience at club link that there's really just a great group of guys most everywhere you go whether it's blue springs or glen karen or the country club or any of those places not only great golf at Club Link, but also great guys and gals to play with wherever you go. Yeah, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Um, our guest today is a best-selling author of Zen Golf. Yeah, that's where we're at now, kids. Zen Golf. He has also um, been named one of the top mental performance coaches on this planet and now is applying the principles of Zen Golf, a book that both of us have read, to weight loss. The best diet book ever, wow. The Zen of Losing Weight. Welcome to our program, Dr. Joseph Parent. Dr. Joe, what's happening? Good morning, guys. Uh, it was interesting saying they're having their closing session, and uh, uh, the, uh, the nice fall season is just starting here in Southern California. Um, we, we don't have a closing time. Yeah, so, that's right. Uh, yeah, for, thank you for sticking uh, it, that sort of. Uh, you're welcome to come down and visit when the, when the snow hits. Well, I guess in, I live in California. You basically have a couple seasons. It goes from green to brown and then back to green. That's right, exactly. Dr. Joe, um, has uh, for you people who don't know, we're going to talk about uh, Zen and the art of losing weight, the art of playing golf. But for a while there, you were coaching Vijay Singh who is the world number one ranked golfer. In fact, you have the distinction of being the, the only one to, to coach both Vijay, who went to number one, and Christy Kerr, who also went to number one. I guess what I would start with is, how do you feel, and again, it's hard to talk about yourself, but your influence on them 
what what do you what did you bring to those two and what can we bring to other golfers to make them uh improve their game well you know it uh, it's very gratifying as you know when you coach and uh, and get results whether it's a uh uh, football team or um, tennis or golf, uh, anybody, you know, when, when you're a coach, your job is to bring out the best in your players. And one of the things that I explain to people when they talk about the, when I talk about the mental game, um, you know, having a better mental game, it doesn't mean that before you could only hit a 220, now you can hit a 320. Uh, what it means is the better your mental game, the less interference there is with the capabilities you have to perform. And when you're with players uh, like VJ and Christy, um, when, when I started working with VJ, the first thing he said is, I've been out here a long time, and I know where all the bad places are. <laughs> And uh, and so for him, it was uh, both before the shot, taking the hazards into account, but making the focus be where you do want the ball to go. And that applies to all level golfers. And then what we experienced was after his shots, he would criticize the shot. Even very, very good ones, he'd pick out what went wrong with it. And so we changed that habit because if your habit is to pick out what went wrong with a shot, then what your inclination will be on the next one is to worry about what's going to go wrong with it. And and so as soon as we got those out of the way, wow, there was just nothing in the way because his talent is is pretty much limitless. Uh, I would say, you know, his only weakness is, is he's, an, he's an average putter. If he were a great putter, Tiger could just get out of the way. Um, Christie is a great putter. Uh, her weakness is she has a, an average short game. And so once we, uh, again, for her, it, it, it was a matter of, um, again, the same kinds of things of, uh, now, for her, it was a little different. It was perfectionism and uh, never feeling like uh, shots were good enough. And so giving her a sense of room to play and not needing to hit the ball exactly on a spot. Because, you know, Iron Byron, the testing robot that they use, the balls that the robot hits don't don't land on all the same exact same spot. It doesn't land in one exact spot. So everybody has a dispersion pattern. So So for her, the real breakthrough mantra was, um, you aim at a spot, but in golf, you aim at a spot, but you play to an area. And as soon as there was an area to play to, even though you aim at a, a small target, but you got a lot of room that it can come down and then still be a good shot, that freed her up. And 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 with her putting, um, basically she she lapped the field and and she became number one when she set the LPGA record for. Uh, uh, margin of victory with 12 shots and in that tournament our focus was making uh, trusting at your swing and making committed swings um, because swinging with doubt or fear doesn't get you very far so dr Joe, and that's she where said she, she she felt like she had 98 percent of her shots she only had six shots in four rounds that weren't fully committed and that's when that's when records get broken okay so 
When you're talking about in- interference, I think a lot of our listeners uh, can can really relate to that and the way that they, they get in their own way. So what I'd like you to do... That's exactly right. What I'd like you to do is to link awareness and the whole concept of, of, of Zen, which you've... Um, that that is your area that you've you've put together Zen and golf, and now with weight loss as well. How does that whole thing of of awareness and interference? How does that work together, and how can golfers put that together in terms of getting out of their own way? Okay, well, um, first you can't get out of your own way unless you know the ways that you're getting in your own way. So the first step is recognition, and that's where awareness comes in, to have a non-judgmental awareness of your patterns and your habits. Uh, so, so it's really important to understand how are you talking to yourself as you get up to, uh, you know, as, as you plan a shot, are you saying, well, whatever I want to do, I don't want to hit it left. You might do a very good job of not hitting it left, but then you hit it out of bounds to the right. So. So you have to look at the, and and you might say, you know, I've, I've got to put this in the fairway. And then the grip tightens up and you try to hold the face square, which does anything but put it in the fairway. <laughs> or, you know, I'm going to, I got to hit this off the planet. And then you, you swing at it like you're, you're chopping wood and try to hit it a hundred miles and, and top at a hundred feet. So, so you have to recognize all these um, mistaken intentions and and ways in which you get in your own way, uh, worrying about whether you're going. You know, or I, I had a player. He said he had a three foot putt, and he had six different ways that he could miss that three foot putt. And that's all he was thinking about was the six different ways he could miss that three foot putt. And of course, his brain's going to pick one of them. So, um, so the first is the awareness of your habits and what you're what you're doing. So the first step is recognition. That's where mindfulness and awareness come in, that you have to be able to observe yourself and ideally not judge, because as soon as you judge yourself, you add more interference of negative emotions. And Dr. Joe, let me just jump in and say, uh, Dr. Okay. Joe, Joe, let me just, sure. before you go on it, because there's so much stuff, there's so much good stuff being said, Dr. Joe, let me just jump in there. Part of the problem with most people that have played the game for any amount of time, because new people haven't developed any new scar, haven't developed scar tissue yet. As you said about VJ, he played so long, like a lot of us, we know where all the bad stuff is. But that first piece that you just mentioned, it's, it's, it's kind of a human nature thing as well. Most people don't know that they're in a narrative of self-doubt, self-criticism, self-hatred, whatever that is that translates to the game of golf, because it's just a mirror of how people show up in their everyday lives. So how do you get people to recognize that there is an issue that's not just they can't you know, hit a good golf shot, it's that they have these moments of intense you know, sort of mental chaos. So how, how do we get them right. to, how do okay. we introduce that concept? Well, uh, I want to start by addressing language. Language is very important. And you said it's human nature to have these thoughts. Well, if it's human nature to have these thoughts, then that's part of your makeup, and you can't change that. I don't agree. I think it's human habit to have those thoughts. And and one of the chapters in Zen Golf addresses, is it your nature or is it your habit? If something is your nature... Uh, then it's unchangeable. 
if something is your habit, it's changeable. So, yes, people have developed a habit of looking for what could go wrong. Okay. There are a couple of, couple of reasons that's happened. Mm. If you watch golf on TV, what's, what's the golf commentator's job? It's not to describe the action. It's to try to make it exciting. The ratings. And the only way to make it exciting is to point out what could go wrong. You know, if I, if I say, you know, VJ's uh, setting up for this one, and uh, I think he's aiming in the left center of the fairway, playing his usual power fade. And, um, you know, this is, that's the way he usually plays. That's, not, that's pretty boring. But if you say, okay, VJ's got a one-shot lead. Now, the, the, the whole dog leg slightly to the left. If he plays his power fade and it runs out too far, he's going to go into the creek on the right. But if he tries to cut the corner, he could hit the trees. Man, this is going to be tight. Now, that's scary. And that's exciting for the viewers. So we get in the habit of picking out what could go wrong. And it's a habit, not nature. And I train people to change that habit. So the second part after recognition is undoing the habits. This is, I have a chapter called Clear the Interference. And the two parts are recognition and undoing, clearing the habits. Uh, undoing the habits and changing them to positive habits. So I guess what I was saying is that there's a lot of golfers that are in the habit of thinking a certain way. And part of what Mm -hmm. we've been doing on this show is trying to get people to open up to the idea that there might be another way to habitually, you know, play golf that has not a lot to do with, you know, what position your left arm is at the nine o'clock on, on the halfway back swing. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think a lot of golfers are looking that's, for. That's ex- that's exactly right. And 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 the reason. Do you want to know the, what I think the reason? I do is want to know why yes, people go there. Okay, so they get the notion that if they that they they're supposed to that they 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 need to to get the ball to go exactly where they want to go, they have to make a perfect swing. Which isn't entirely true because there is no perfect swing. There, I have a, you know, there is your perfect swing for the day, which is the best swing you can put on the ball. And depending on the level that you've trained, it's going to go in your area. You know, uh, an expert golfer has a small area to, uh, dispersion pattern, and a beginning golfer has a real big area. But when you swing without interference, it's going to go in your area. Now, they think they have to hit it perfectly, so they have to swing perfectly, and it all goes back to then they have then they become self-conscious about their technique and think, you know, it's like telling somebody, watch what you're doing, telling a waiter, you know, who's got a tray full of soup, watch what you're doing, don't spill the soup and soup all over the place. Mm-hmm. But what we were brought up that way, you know, as a kid. How many kids have never been told have, have never been told watch what you're doing, be careful. So we get the idea that to make it come out right, we have to watch what we're doing and be careful, which is the opposite of what we need to do to play good golf. Right, because we're concerned about the consequence. We might yeah, even going back to childhood, the word could get in trouble. So to avoid getting in trouble, we That's have right. to, we have to do it right. But that's yep, but that's exactly. the way we just get in get in our way, and I I know in terms of my own right, that's exactly right. In my own education around Zen, if you will, and is practicing acceptance and and the whole conundrum, if you will, it's almost like a Zen cone is playing like you don't care, but you actually really do care, and that's the di- that's the dilemma a lot of people fall into is yeah they don't want to be focused on doing it right, but 
they don't know how to balance that with going to this other side where they can just let things go. How do you help people kind of get in that place of play like they don't care, even right. though we all know they do care? Well, I think you must have rendered in golf because I have a chapter called To Care or Not to Care. Yes, we've all. I, the reason we called you is because we both love the book. We've read this book. And we're and golf we're nerds. nerds. Okay. Do you understand so how great it is key. talking to you? Do you even get that you are somebody of value to us? I don't care if you <laughs> want to get all zen or not, my friend. The reason we wanted to talk to you is because we were reading the book together we, we, at nighttime. That's great. Tim reads to me like so, a child. To care, so to care or not to care, here's the key. Sometimes Tim has to help you with the bigger words. Two definitions of the word care. One is to take an interest in. The other is to worry about. Okay? Yes, we take an interest in playing good golf. But when we worry about not playing, not hitting it well, or worry about making a mistake, that's the kind of care that we don't want to have. We want to have the care that lets us prepare properly and and put us in the position to give ourselves a chance for the best result. But worrying about that result is the interference. So, so that's a habit we have to recognize. And then what you talked about, the acceptance part, the, the real key goes back to what I said about Christy, that you aim at a spot, but you play to an area. So pre-acceptance is what I teach. You don't just accept it afterwards. I mean, it's helpful to accept it afterwards and not beat yourself up. But it's essential to accept it ahead of time, to say, I can handle wherever this ball ends up, which means that'll let me swing freely. Absolutely. If I can handle... If I can't handle the result, I'm going to protect. Now that's a huge. I was going to say that's it. I'm going to guide it. I'm going to do something like that. So if you can't, you know, what's that line from A Few Good Men? If you can't handle the truth, right? If if you can't handle one, you know, one aspect of the result, like there's a, you know, there's a creek along the left side, and your driver dispersion pattern brings that well into play. Don't hit driver. No, I was going to say that. your plan to make your area be one in which if you, you've got a much better chance of not, um, not, causing, not getting yourself in trouble. Joe. And, and that's, why I mean, that's why I say take the hazards into account. Then you have a positive target. You've pre-accepted anywhere around there is fine. And then you rip it right at that target. So, Joe, trying to, I'm not, can you hear us okay? Because I'm not 100% sure that you can. I, I can hear you. It crackles a little oh, bit, okay. out, but sorry. not bad. Um, you know, a lot of people will say, sort of uh, give it, you know, sort of a cursory, I'm okay if this goes, you know, wherever this goes, I'm okay with it. But they're truly not. They, they're they still sort of hanging on to the result. And one of the things about the art of the mental game that I found interesting, I can't speak for Timmy here, but one of the things I thought, and when you talk about the many transitions in golf, and this is kind of where I want right. to go with this, because there is a lot of, listen, we've been talking to mental experts now for over a year. We've been reading these books and, and over 25 or 30 years of being interested in this subject. There's lots of technique. But when you talked about transitions in your book, I thought that really resonated with mm-hmm. me because golf is a series of, you know, as you say, transitioning from, you know, driving to the course to warming up to transitioning from the range to the first tee and on and on and on. And even in the transition... Right. Exactly. 
even in the transition between the moment of acceptance and so forth, I want you to talk a little bit right. about your theory of how golfers can transition to make the game well, first of all, no, recognizing that there's a bit of a breakdown, whether it's habitual or your nature. But once you accept that there's a better game to play, how can golfers make a transition to a better game? Okay, um, that's how I came up with the the uh, par approach. That's the structure within Zen Golf of <clears throat> working on your preparation, your action response to results, which all link together. So that if you have the proper response to results, <clears throat> it cycles back. Excuse me. <clears throat> it cycles back to better preparation. In Japan, they call that kaizen or the path of continuous improvement. So, uh, so you prepare, then you execute or act, and then you respond to the results. And you do it in a non. If you can do it in a non-judgmental way and really assess and learn from what just happened. Then you reinforce your success, you learn from your mistake, and build in what you need to do better on your preparation that allows you to make a better shot. So you, so when I teach, you, you get better as you play using, using these lessons. Now, what, what you talked about of, of uh, <clears throat> before the shot, giving lip service to acceptance but not really accepting. Right. The only way to, the only way to change that is on assessing the shot afterward. And this this is a, a system that actually changes that habit. Because after your shot, I have players who, who struggle with that. I have them rate on a scale of one to, one to five or one to 10, but let's say one to five, how much they swung without interference. Mm -hmm. Five is, it was like the club was swinging itself. And uh, there was no interference. And one is completely untrusting and guiding and fearful. So after the shot, they, they rate it and they go, wow, I thought I was accepting, but I guess I really didn't trust it. Next time I'm either going to make a different plan or I'm going to say, <clears throat> and, and by the way, the results do correlate pretty well with those numbers. When you have fours and fives, you hit pretty good shots for whatever level you are. You know, if you're a, if you're a, a, a 20 handicapper, you hit pretty good shots for a 20 handicapper. If you're a three handicap, you hit pretty good shots for a three handicap, which most people would regard as pretty good shots. <clears throat> so, this system, <clears throat> sorry about that. Yeah, no worries. This system works back, work, works around into uh, you, you're subconsciously before the shot. You know you're going to be accountable, and this is the real key: the the know, knowing that after the shot you'll be accountable. So subconsciously, you you truly do start to really want to and do accept pre-accept more and swing more freely because you know that's the only way you're going to get a four or a five on your on your uh, point scale. And, th and everybody wants to score. And so this is a, an alternate way of scoring mm. that produces the subconscious tendency to prepare better and swing more freely. You're building evidence that you can do that. Yeah. Um, so what I wanted to... to, it's, to it's, it's very clear correlation. I had a pro call me and he was very excited. He said, Doc, I just had my first round without any twos. <laughs> I said... 
like I said, you mean you didn't birdie any par threes? I don't get it. He says, no, no, the rating scale. I'm like, oh, that's great. That's he said, funny. I had a few threes, mostly fours and fives, and I shot five under par with no bogeys. Yeah, I totally get that. I work with uh, some of my clients on that, and, and that is if they take care of you know, process goals or things like that, it's amazing because, because they're focusing on those areas they want to improve on, but they're not really focused on the score. And what actually happens is they tend to score better without being focused on score. So that's a, that's a and really... As you know, one, yeah, one of my mantras is take care of the process and, the results will ta- and let the results take care of themselves. Absolutely. So what I wanted to ask you was, we talk about, in, in this type of area, if we will, about the mental game, or that kind of thing, people talk about being present to the moment, being present to the shot. What's the difference to, I think, if you could help some of our listeners understand, what's the difference between being just present to what's going on and maybe guiding it or trying to control it? Um, being present uh, is not an, it's a state of being, it's not an activity. And it's not a direction. It, you, you know, if you try to sell, tell somebody, be present, they go, how do you, <laughs> you don't know how to do that. It's the same, it's why I never tell somebody to relax. Exactly. Because relaxation is a state of being. Mm-hmm. I'll tell them to breathe and, and just let themselves settle into the ground and let, you know, and feel like tension is flowing out of them and into the ground. And that produces relaxation. But if you tell somebody to relax because they don't know how to do it, it makes them more uptight. <laughs> so present is, instead of saying be present, that nobody knows how to do that. You say, tune into something in the present that you're experiencing. For example, connecting to your target. Uh, and, and what I like is uh, taking a, a grounding breath, breathe out and feel the ground under your feet and keep your eyes on your target and your feet feeling the ground as you walk into a dress. Mm-hmm. Right. Then you are in the present because our perceptions are always in the present. Um, but our mind, our, our thoughts can go to the past or the future. So you get over the ball and you think, you know, last time I hit a really good draw, I got to make that happen again. Oops. You're in the past. Right. You're, you're swinging now, but you're thinking about the swing you made before. And then your body's out of, your, your mind and body are out of sync. Or you think, boy, if I can get this all way down the fairway, I'm going to have a good chance for birdie. And in your mind, you're writing a three on your scorecard, but mm-hmm. you're, you're on the tee swinging at, at the ball. So your mind and body are not in sync. So you need to um, replace the thoughts with sense perceptions, which are always in the present. Right. One of my favorite pieces in the book, to tell you the truth, is that piece. The idea that... You know, right now we're sitting here in front of microphones. You're somewhere in California. Our bodies are where they are in the present tense at all times. Our minds... Unless, you, know, you, unless you have a time machine. Yeah. yeah. Our minds can be in, in so many places at once. Even as I'm saying this, you might still... You might be daydreaming about what you're going to have for breakfast once we let you off the phone. But what I got from that <laughs> section of the uh, the book is... is I is sort of... As a golfer, as a, a person that wants to show up in the world, maybe in a more calm, less critical state is to have an intense interest in the present tense, to find ways to be more present more often. Now, we're talking about this game of golf that we love, 
And and people will talk about their best rounds as feeling like things were effortless. The club just seemed yep. to, but but what it really means is for those few short hours where things seemed to be going okay, they were able to bring their present mind, if you will, and their body together. Will you speak a little bit about that? That's right. Well, um, uh, what was what was happening is <clears throat> they weren't thinking about swinging. They weren't really thinking about much of anything. Their mind was uh, absorbed in the experience of the present moment. What, what we talk about it is a, a unified field experience, so that you, the club, the ball, the golf course, are, are all one unified field of experience, and it's, it's not you trying to manipulate the ball to make it go where you want to on the golf course. Uh, you just you see it, and it's almost there's a little bit of deja vu that happens. It's almost like I and and a lot of golfers have felt this. They get up over a putt and they, and and they go, "Oh, this is going in. I I can feel it before I even hit it." And very often that happens. So there's a there's a uh, almost an extrasensory experience when we're in that kind of zone because there's so little of of us as director and manager uh, going on. It's almost like, sorry, it's almost like we step back and we're watching it all happen. And it's a, it's, you know, it's a very cool experience. And almost everybody has it. And and here's one of the things that, that I teach, that's continuously and always available. It's not something you have to find because that that is our our nature is to be that way and the act of separating ourselves out and pulling ourselves out of that field of experience and putting ourselves over here trying to make something come out the way we want to is is where the interference and the and the separation come out Mm -hmm. well one of the things i find fascinating about um this field if you will is that it's it, it really ranges from from making a, a decision, being a cognitive, intellectual process, to really almost spiritual. And so we've covered a lot of that really kind of wide area about experience, but it's also about making decisions and being in in a place where I'm going to make a make this this decision or not. And one of the things I find really fascinating that you just seem to hit the nail is what you call an anyway. And that's when we're standing over the ball and maybe not feeling comfortable, wondering whether it's the club or not or the stance, and you hit it anyway. And that never seems to work out. Can you work? Can you just don't don't, don't you love that? I mean, uh, uh, I I can't tell you. Um, that's probably the the most um, appreciated phrase that I've that I've coined. Absolutely. Which is when when you're not comfortable and you go ahead anyway, it's called an anyway. 
And people said, you know, it's so easy to talk about it that way. I said, yeah, I did about four anyways on that, that hole. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to say quickly, you know, Dr. Joe, since I read the book uh, last month or so, I must have said that phrase, oh, you hit that anyway, or seen it myself, a hundred times, because everybody who's ever played this game can relate to that. And But I would say yes, my curiosity absolutely. is why, why are we so self-conscious that we're standing over it, well, we, we don't feel comfortable, but for some reason, and we're playing with our friends that we can't step away right. and start again. Well, first of all, I want to go back to your transitions thing. Yes. And, and it's, it's what Tim was talking about of the transition, which is the hardest transition in golf. And that is going from using your thinking mind to plan the shot to turning over control to your instinctive mind, which is, your, which is like your athletic mind. You know, that's why reactive sports, you, you don't have time to think. You just react, and and what? But it, but your mind is running your body still. But there's no time to think. And uh, and golf, unfortunately, there's so much time to think that your thinking mind says, "Yeah, you know, instinctive mind. I I, I think I can run this better than you." And that's always wrong. So you so you need to make that transition and let go and turn over control to your instinctive mind and just. Let it fly. Let it go. Now, the uh, <clears throat> the anyways that you're talking about, we're self-conscious because we're social beings, and uh, there's a group in the fairway, and you're getting ready to putt, and you don't feel like you got the right line, but you, you, know, you don't want to go back and put a coin down and re-tee it up. So you go, I'll just help it out along the break. Mm, usually doesn't work so well. So uh, if you're on the tee, everybody's watching you, and you don't want to, you know, it's teed up too high, and you don't want to, to bend down and tee it up and start your routine again, so you go, I'll just hit it anyway. Um, and what people need to understand is that it takes a lot less time to set up again right. than it does to look, for your, to look for your ball in the woods. So, so what I do is, again, it's the same rating kind of training, but instead of one to five scale, you just put a tally mark down. You write the word anyways on your card, and then each time you realize after a shot that you weren't comfortable and you went ahead anyway, you put a mark down. And you can even give yourself a little check mark if you caught yourself and you were about to go and do it anyway. And you said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to start over. Uh, I got to tell you, for, for you can train yourself, you can train yourself out of the anyways, believe it or not. Uh, I do believe it. I was going to say as a, uh, a player, of, you know, sir, for, sir, I don't even know how to describe this as an elite player, uh, even at my level, uh, which is mm-hmm. I'm a one handicap, whatever. Right. Even at the level that I play at, I find myself once in a while, and I didn't know how to. Do, that's why there's such a great description. Is that I would back off a shot. So I've I've over I've I've allowed myself the time it takes. You know the way I put it is when it's my turn I'm going to take my turn. But here's what I learned from right. you that I thought was brilliant. By the way, this segment is called Things We Love About Doctor Joe. Okay, so. Um, <laughs> What I, what I, so once you catch on to the concept of a lot of golfers, myself included, will hit a shot anyway. So I'll back off a shot. But what Dr. Joe said was when you start again, you've got to give your, yourself 
time to make the adjustment. So if you were going to hit a six and then you back off and go, I'm going to hit a seven, you've, you've already programmed the right. six iron into your routine. You've got to give yourself time for your body to catch up to this new information. I thought... Yes, I say, that's the, that's give it time to sink give in. Give it time to sink in because, again, as an elite player, as someone that shoots around par, there have right. been times where I go, okay, I'm backing off. Great. Good job. I go to my seven iron, but I haven't let that filter in. I'm still processing the other club. Talk a little bit about that. You want to hear the most famous example of that? I really do. Yes. And, okay. U.S. Open. Wingfoot. <clears throat> Colin Montgomery. Oh, right. Standing on standing uh, in the fairway. with a, uh, All he has to do is par the hole, and he, he either wins or gets in a playoff. I can't remember. For the U.S. Open Championship. VJ happened to be his playing partner, and VJ hit it into place and needed a ruling. So it's taken a long time, and and Monty is making these soft swings with the six iron, soft, smooth swings. Going to smooth the six iron up there. Again, I mean, maybe for maybe for five minutes he's doing this, and then just before it's time for him to hit, he looks and he does for his caddy for a second, and he switches to a seven iron, and he makes maybe one practice swing, and he gets up. And his intention was to hit a hard seven. But guess what was programmed in? Right. Smooth six. So he swung that seven, and, and, and he hit the ball, and it was a beautiful shot. And you could see his, uh, what he was saying was, what the hell? He couldn't believe that his body made the smooth six swing when he had a seven on his hand. Dumped it into the bunker in front of the in in the front of the green, bogeyed the hole, and uh, and missed uh, the playoff for the U.S. Open. So that was the most famous example. He needed to swing that seven iron hard at least half, at least three or four times, and really take uh, uh, thirty seconds for it to sink in and then play the shot. And you call that programming in your in your book uh, Zen and the Art of Golf. Yeah, a prog- uh, programming swing yeah. um, to program in that feel because the other one had been programmed in really strongly for about five minutes. But I thought and that that's was what uh, you were talking about of time. Yeah. Time you have to give it time to sink in. Mm-hmm. When you make that change, your mind changes, but your body is still your instinctive mind is still working on that same program. And Doctor Joe, I thought it was particularly apt or brilliant. I don't even whenever I thought it was great because lots of times you'll see better players, and I recommend this to other people. Well, they'll bring a couple of clubs over to uh, chip because they want to. You know, they, they they put their clubs over there and they don't want to take their clubs back and forth, and they'll they'll have like a lob wedge and they'll think you know what they take rehearsal swings with one club and and even a little mm-hmm. chip like that then all of a sudden they'll go no i'm going to go to a bump and run they'll take one swing and it doesn't work out and and ever since i read that i thought you know you're so right because i will have spent a considerable amount of time feeling something and then i might change my club and not feel what that feels like and then wonder why it that's didn't right. turn out that's right um again and, and, the, and for, for for club golf for for, for weekend golfers they're usually taking a cart and they take one club over and yeah, exactly. the wrong one. And guess what they do? I'm just going to hit this one anyway. anyway. Right. Golf, the <laughs> art of the mental game, pairs Zen golf lessons no. with the timeless drawings of Anthony Ravelli. Uh, we recommend it to everyone. In our last couple of seconds, what have you done? How? Have, hey, Mister, how have you taken uh, this golf uh, present tense uh, with Zen. Zen to weight loss? Well, 
you know, the the uh, I love that book, Golf: The Art of the Mental Game, with all those drawings. And and really, uh, a lot of those chapters are condensations. They're they're li- they're little tips that go with the drawings. Yeah. And they're condensations of of the main book, which is Zen Golf. Yes. Um, and the latest book is called How to Make Every Putt. That's of the of my golf books. But you know, I, I was going to tell you that the mindfulness and awareness, and and you talked about the transition and the intention and making conscious choices um and also the the positive versus negative approach and that's what that's what i applied to to weight loss my my book um it was it was pretty it was a lot of fun the uh i you know there was a golf book by golf magazine i think it was called the best golf instruction book ever and i said i wonder if there's a diet book like that there wasn't so i used that title and the website was available and i said how can I not go for this one? <laughs> so the best diet book ever, The Zen of Losing Weight, and there are no menus, no recipes. Uh, it's about how you work with your mind. Uh, the, there also, and this is really key, there are no requirements or restrictions. So uh, most people approach diet uh, from the point of view of punishment. And if I do this, I'm going to gain weight, and if I do that, I'm going to gain weight, and I'm not allowed to do this, and I'm not allowed to do that. And they feel so imprisoned that they break out. They, you know, on Friday night, they make a break for it, and they head for Binge City <laughs> and say, I'll start again on Monday. So, so in this case, it's all the positive choice model, and we use mindfulness. And we say, you know, you have to make a choice. When you look at something, you say, um, would I rather eat this or weigh less? And uh, and you have to have a strong intention that you want to weigh less. And then I give all sorts of methods, kind of like the anyways and the rating scale and, and, and techniques that are simple techniques that people can use. And the most important part of it is to give yourself time to make that choice. Because you see that leftover half of a cupcake in the refrigerator and it's in your mouth before you even know it. But if you have mindfulness, you see it and you go, mm, I feel the urge to have that cupcake. Is that what I really want? Is that what is going to make me happy in the long run? And you go, you know what? And here's, here's the key question that I have people ask. Is that worth the calories? And you go, you know what? I had one bite of it. It's kind of stale. Not worth the calories. In the garbage. But uh, but you but you can't make that choice if you've already eaten it. It's interesting so you have that to have time uh, to make to make the choice, and it, and once you make the choice of what's worth the calories, you can have whatever you want, as long as you understand the consequences. The best diet book and, ever. The uh, Zen of Losing Weight is available at that website. You can check out Dr. Joe's website at zengolf.com. And uh, I want to thank you. Uh, I've enjoyed reading the book, and we recommend it heartily. And I hope you had a nice time uh, talking to us. Oh, it was a lot of fun. Let's do it again sometime. I think we should hang out all the time. That's what I think. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) And uh, Dr. Joe, uh, great speaking with you. Uh, We'll tell everyone to go to your website, and thanks for being on our little podcast. We appreciate it, man. Can you add in there um, the... the the diet book is on uh, on Amazon. That's the place to find it. I think we can do that. Um, we, we just did. Yeah, we and, can tell people. And also, uh, I do long-distance lessons via FaceTime and Skype. 
So I don't want to cut into your um, clientele, but uh, if uh, you you know, um, so if you're not comfortable doing that, I just no, I am totally comfortable. No, it's yeah, seriously. It's Wait, done. So there's lots. Hey, listen, dude. There's a lot of people. Yes, I called you, dude. There's a lot of people out there that want to get better. In no, California. I don't care. It does, uh, he has a. He's a doctor. I'm a doctor. I call myself a doctor sometimes. Um, I would say this. There's lots of people out there and more than enough uh, learning to go around. And uh, thanks for being part of this. Absolutely. Sir. All right. My pleasure. You guys are a lot of fun. Yeah, I, like, I like the the. Uh, uh, the energy and the tone of the podcast, not too serious. Exactly. It, Thank it, you. It's, it's got to be fun. Well, so, go, so here's, here's, here, here's my favorite saying. People think that oh, if only they played better, they'd enjoy it more. It works the other way around. Absolutely. If you enjoy it more, you'd play better. You're a good man, Dr. Jojo. You got it. All right, pal. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Take, Take care. care. That's right. I just called him Dr. Jojo. Huh? That's and, right. That's where I'm at you right called now. called him pal and dude. Whatever. Yeah, well, it is fun. Yeah, it's supposed to be fun. we got to have fun. Um, Come on. Yeah, it was cool. I don't know. <sighs> I don't know, man. Um, very interesting. You know, and, and I think, like, I've started to question everything. Like, what comes first, you know, a whole thing. I definitely think that you need to get your, your brain around a better way of, of behaving to put yourself in a frame of mind to, to play your best. I think that's huge for a lot of people, especially if you've never dabbled in the world that we deal with on this show. Now, you've been uh, a certified mental performance trainer now for some time, mm-hmm. and that time is over a year. But we both have been reading about this stuff for Forever. as long as we can remember. Forever. <laughs> exactly. And uh, you're actually getting a chance now in your later years. Yes, that's right. Tim's 83 years old. <laughs> hey, my doctor said the other day. You look amazing. No, my doc. So my next birthday is is six zero. I know. And I'm I'm talking to him about sleep issues. And he goes, you know, Tim, as we enter our seventh decade, and I didn't hear another word he said for about <laughs> five right. minutes because I'm 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 already seventy five. What the hell? Exactly. I love that when people say, "I can't believe I didn't go further." You're old and not very good. Um. Anyway, <laughs> that's a different story. Digress. Uh. What was I saying? Oh, yeah. The stuff um, we've read. The stuff we've learned. read. So there's no doubt in my mind that a lot of people and a lot of people I play with would benefit from seeing you or calling Dr. Joe because it does, it, there, it's definitely worth putting yourself in a, in a better place. Like I told you before we started today, my best lesson or one of them in the last 12 months is just a simple conversation we had about intention. And as I told you, I remembered it so well because I went out the next day after having a very frustrating period. And you said, well, maybe you could just change your intention next time. And I did. And it helped me. So great. Yeah. Well, another what's one of the things that resonated for me big time in talking with Dr. Joe was pre-acceptance. And that just kind of shone right out at me and that's kind of right in line with intention yeah so if my intention is say to go out and play with my son then all my focus is on my son and and so i can accept that some maybe i'm not going to beat my best golf because i won't be as focused or that when bad things happen i'm okay with it because my focus that day is not to shoot a low score my focus is to be playing with my son or whatever the situation is so i really like that idea of Pre-acceptance. But it's kind of what you talk to me and other students of yours about is, is you know, if you, you know, again, I, I'm going to use this intention piece as, as a real 
eye-opener for a lot of golfers. Um, setting an intention for your particular day, for your tournament, for maybe your golfing life, which, you know, let's not be too esoteric here, but a lot of people listening don't really like the way they show up on a golf course. They may seem jovial. And as I said to him, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, you can give lip service to, okay, I'm going to be more whatever. But if you don't really feel it, accept it, you're always, as you said, people are always like, yeah, but I really want to score my best. Yeah. Um, and I have, again, I was the worst I ever met. Most swing obsessive, most rage filled, all the seven dwarves of bad behavior, sulky, dopey, <laughs> snivelly, you know, shitty. But I. I he was I, the lesser known of the. Group. He was, exactly. Mr. Poopy Pants. <laughs> um, but I don't give lip service anymore. I actually feel it. So that, you know, I'm playing the. I played this summer the, some of the best golf I've played you know, in my life and, and really haven't really improved my golf swing very much. I still pull hook the odd shot, mm-hmm. but my intention is better. So when bad things happen, which they do every round, I'm okay with it. I re- and I really am okay with it better than I used to be. Yeah. There's some days that, you know, you get a little aggravated, but I don't, I don't wear it anymore. And golf becomes easier, becomes more fun and you tend to play better. It's, it really is kind of that Zen Cohen or riddle how do I how do I play like I don't care, but actually I really do care? And the reason you got to be, a, say, a fairly good player is because you care intensely. You put in the work and all that, but how do you play and let the best part of you come out? Because that's really what we're talking about here in terms of, in, in many ways, it's like we're turning ourselves over to that part of ourselves we don't access very often. And that's just the the true nature of who we are. And allowing that to just blossom and really come forth, if you will, because we generally don't trust it. And because we just care too damn much and we're judging the crap out of ourselves and Mm -hmm. we're wondering how we're going to show up. And, oh, gosh, my score is going to be posted. Everyone's going to think I'm a hack. And and it's weird because I I play a lot of golf with a lot of different people in the course of a a week, you know, and and I see so much of that, especially reading. You know, one of the things uh, I again, we didn't really get into the transition part because he's got a great thing in the book about getting ready to play a shot and then getting ready to play golf. And it's pretty good. Go, go read it. But I re- I see a lot of guys that I play with. They're definitely hitting balls anyway, a ton of it, even mm-hmm. good players. But I hear the conversations with people and like, I almost feel bad. It's like, they just don't realize that they're not playing the game that's available to them. They're playing this game, whether it's habitually or innate or whatever it is, they've been playing a long time and they just play the way they've always played. And it comes up all the time. And, and what I feel most excited about now is I'm not playing the way I've always played. It's a completely like my buddy Fred on the humble and Fred show calls it new Howard, old Howard. <laughs> and, and I'm gonna tell you, old Howard was a lot on more, a lot less happy than Howard is now. Listen, I'm not perfect, and there are lots of stuff going on in life that are. It's a bit of a drag, but when I go to my golf now, uh, because I'm no longer afraid, I'm going to golf today, and I am no longer afraid of, of a, having a bad golf day because it doesn't matter. And so, what happens is when you make a double bogey, or you make a thing, or this happens, or that happens, you kind of go, "Well, that just happened," and now I'm going to go play this next shot. Yeah, and I didn't know that. Here's the thing. I'm admitting I didn't know that. Didn't know how to do it. I mean, I read about it, but I didn't. It wasn't part of me. 
for real. It was like, oh, I know, probably just, you know, I know you had a bad shot. and come, But I didn't really feel it. But once you feel it, you can't go back to not feeling. Mm-hmm. You can't unlearn it. Was that too complicated? No, I, I get it. I part- of course you do, because you're brilliant. And we talk about every second day. Um, not as much recently, but I'm well, okay with that. Busy. I was wondering. You've been busy with your clients. I'm wondering if there's a thing between. No, us, dude, I'm getting. I got a. Okay. No, I'm getting a studio ready. I oh, moved into a new busy. place. I know. Soon I know. it'll be Tinder season again. Uh, you know. <laughs> I, I got a lot of groundwork to lay for November, uh, December, January, and February where I have my winter girlfriends. See, this is why the coach needs a coach. You know, I went into judgment. The winter girlfriend? Well, oh, that's, just, a, that's an off-air discussion. Not okay. really. No, because I... Uh, so, so you're, so you're less continue. invested. So you're yes. less invested in, in the result in terms of what it says about you as a human being if you hit a bad shot. And... You know, suddenly the air goes out of your tires and you can no longer play. You're no longer a worthy human being. But what you're talking about hearing people talk, I mean, it happens. Yeah, the conversation's ridiculous. Well, constantly. So I'll talk to, uh, you know, just you know, a, a guy at Blue Springs or a client or something. And how'd it go? Oh, it's great. I, I parred one, two, and three. And uh, and then oh, doubled four. He had a bad drive, and there's all this story about the bad drive that led to the double. And then uh, made a bogey, and par par par. And then oh, made it, made a stupid triple on nine. And they give you all that. So all the mental energy, and emotion, and sort of cognitive ability is on the bad stuff because that's where they get most of their juice. That's where they, they react the most. And where players like you have made this transition, I'm seeing it in other players, is the bad stuff happens, but they're not fully invested in it. They don't react as much. And they, you know, to use one of Dr. Joe's um, phrases, they've, they, they've, programmed, they've programmed themselves. They've done the work. They've, they've put in the the effort to become less judgmental of themselves Absolutely. and more just, just playing from a place of awareness and, oh, this is going on for me? Is this the way I want to show up? Well, no. I'm going to make a different choice. Well, there's about 10 things in there that I agree with uh, wholeheartedly. 10? Wow. Uh, I don't know. I lost track. I just kept thinking in my mind, yes, so that's I, true. So yes, I, that's true. So did I birdie that segment? Oh, dude, that was like, I think that last, if you go back and listen to what you just said, that was a, a very, just rimmed the edge for an eagle. Um, <laughs> I've had four rounds uh, since our last uh, episode of Swing Thoughts. Shot 70. I told you I had a putt on the last hole for 69. Yeah, wow. The next day, I shot 80. Then in a tournament on the weekend, I shot 73. And then hanging out with my buddies, I shot 75. But I'm going to tell you, it was the round of 80 that I was most... Um, I took most, uh, excuse me, I just had a stroke. He's a word guy. No, here's the problem. You I have I gotta be, in it. Let uh, me tell you this. Okay. I have to pee so bad right now. Honest to God. Well, I think the show's, it's absurd. Co- the show's coming to a close, folks. I have to pee so bad I can't put words into my head. The round of 80 is the one that I took the most out of because I was so proud of myself, uh, so of the equanimity I brought to that day. Got it. And I'll, I'll just tell you, the very first shot I hit of the day, I slightly pulled, hit a cart path, and ended up on a bridge. The first shot I hit of the day. Wow. And I'd never been there before, and I was like, wow, this is something, like my stock thing I say to myself is, well, you don't see that every day. Um, and I just went ahead and dealt with it. I had to, it was in a hazard. The bridge was a yellow line. Whatever it was, 
It just didn't stick with me. Ended up making a double bogey, but I, I only because I three-putted. I, I had a two-putt. I don't putt for par. My point is I made a double bogey, and I birdied the next hole because literally nothing about that seven was any part of my uh, didn't feel bad about myself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just was like, wow, that's cool. And I made another couple. I had another couple double bogeys. And sh- so I was like six over for three holes, and I was two over for the rest of the round. Why that's important to it me is anyway. Important. It's way important. Is because I wasn't, I didn't have my best stuff. I made a couple of mistakes. I had something happen that I'd never seen before. That was one of them. Mm-hmm. Another time I was in a hazard and I went to chip out to safety. It hit the corner of a, a cart path and then shot back in the hazard. So I got up and down for double bogey. It was awesome. So I felt great about it. Now, I, I, listen, 80 is not my best score, but I felt like, wow, it was a pretty fun little round I had. And I shot 80. I was shot 70 the day before. It just didn't make any difference to me because... During the holes I didn't make double, I was playing my regular game. No, and I was did, a couple over par. And it didn't define you, and it everyone shows me. up in a different still way. Still went in for dinner, still joked around with the guys, blah, yeah. blah, blah. A couple of the guys I played with said, you should have seen what happened to him. I've never seen him before. I was like, you know, that's cool. So but, I got to make a, a, speaking of transitions, this is a Transition to peeing one. my pants. No, well, with all due respect to your exploding bladder. Yes. Um, Waterfalls. We're, we're recording this. No, you don't want to think of that. You want to think of dams. Um, we're recording this the day after, no, a couple of days after the Ryder Cup. Yeah. What were your key takeaways from what you saw? That's him thinking. Um, we should have music going. I don't know. Uh, you know, let's be, uh, I mean, to be authentic, there's a million things that, you know, I could have instantly said, but I wanted to give it some thought. I think for me, my key takeaways are just how extraordinary team golf can be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you watched, I don't care if I don't like either of these guys. I really don't like Phil and I don't like Sergio, but if you watch that match, like, that was pretty extraordinary. And that reminded me of Stenson and, and Mickelson from this summer. From the Open Championship. You don't see nine. I don't care how good you are. 19 birdies. You don't see 19 birdies. So, for me, that was the confirmation that there should be more of that because it's really fun to watch. Absolutely. I just love watching players operate under this excruciating pressure and still being able to hit shots, but also being able to hit really bad shots and just get on with it. And that's the beauty of match play. That's the beauty of a team. They know that they might hit a bad shot, but I better pull it together because I'm I'm playing for this team and they're invested in, in that. Yeah, but, I love that stuff. And also it was um, it's always amazing to watch players with make putts under excruciating pressure i love watch you know reed i don't really like the guy another so, guy but he played great oh you sure you got to give it your uh, hand hand it to him but making that putt on 18 to close out rory wow that I mean that guy that is so cool gonna see how that guy's legacy develops i don't really like this the the play into the crowd yeah stuff I was gonna, so you much. know what i, that, I was I, just gonna say that yeah, I, I don't I, that like that sickened stuff. me a little bit after it does, a while. Yeah. like it, it seemed to me artificial it was 100%, 100%. like, you know, it seemed like they were trying to make it, and that's fine. I mean, I, we're not in that situation. And I got to tell you, uh, when I played my little team thing with my buddy at Oak Hill a couple weeks ago, I was definitely more um, outwardly sort of displays of emotion after I sank a couple putts and he did. I was like really into it. And there was just the two of us playing another two guys. So I get it. It's easy for us to sit here and say that. But it was, it was starting to get a little much for me. Yeah, it was almost like uh, Johnny Miller, I think he said, or Hicks, uh, says, what has 
before Reed had that putt on the closeout of singles match, what has he scripted for his reaction? Yeah, and that's why I'm going like, oh, really? It's to that level? Yeah, it's funny. I, I heard him say that, and I didn't receive it quite like he's f- given it some forethought, but almost like I wonder what he's got. What it will ha- almost like what will happen now? But in a way, it was sort of prescient in that it was seemed it all seemed a little artificial. Yeah, but. Um, it does, like I said, my, my takeaway was it just goes to show you, you know, that it's, it's almost like we, it's too bad we don't play more match play in our club, just our everyday club. Oh, it's Because so they do that fun. in Europe. It's so much fun. You don't get as much pressure on. If you make a triple, your day's ruined. You make a triple, you lose the hole. I played yesterday at Tarandawa with a, I belong to the Canadian Golf Journalist Society or whatever we're called. Ugh. And um, we played, we played uh, match play in the first, uh, so it was uh first six holes I was playing with uh Chris Fry of uh the PGA of Canada and we in our group we made we birdied five of the six holes and it was just so much fun as a team going together and the fist pumps and all that stuff. Yeah it's I cool. Mean, wow and, and the way and also you know knock one out of bounds so what? It's yeah. one hole. It's one hole. But that's so different. In the European model, when they play four balls on a Sunday morning, that's why they play it in three hours, because they're not looking for golf balls. They lose the hole, they move on. But okay. that's that team thing again you're talking about. It's lots of fun. It is lots of fun. So now, uh, go take care of your bladder. Oh, dude, you have no idea. You're dancing. Um, <laughs> this program brought to you by TaylorMade Adidas, TaylorMade number one guys in golf. Ah! Glenn Karen. Blue Springs. Blue Springs. See ya. In the park, meantime. Down on the river, you're stopping your whole